Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth, personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. You are with Future Sense with Steve McDonald and myself. Nick Jeans, and that uh, first track up this morning was, of course, Donald Fagan, one half of the famed Steely Dan group, and the track was called IGY, which stands for the International Geophysical Year, an event that ran from July 1957 to December 1958. The IGY was an international scientific project promoting collaboration among the world's scientists. Fagan's lyrics in this song reference, from the point of view of that time, an optimistic vision of futuristic concepts such as solar-powered cities, a transatlantic tunnel, permanent space stations, and spandex jackets. In retrospect, the song can also be read, ironically, critiquing the naivete of such post-war optimism in America and the Western world. Yes, uh, and there we go. Interesting timing, seeing that little bubble of optimism in 1957, was it? Yeah, 56, 57, yeah, yes. Yeah, so it's um, it's kind of preceding the big wave that came through in the 60s, of course. Yeah, and I guess it also spoke at that time to this notion of the leisure society, didn't it, that uh, that technology was going to basically diminish the, the need for work down to maybe nothing or next to nothing, yeah. and that we'd all be sort of in, living in this uh, magical realm of, of technology and uh, and um, and leisure. Ease. Interesting, yeah. I guess, uh, you know, post-World War Two, a lot of the technology that was developed during the war was redirected into more peaceful memes, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the irony of war, isn't it? That war stimulates an incredible technological surge. It is. It gives a great urgency to the development of new things. Yeah. Uh, it's. It's. I guess it's one of those interesting things about tension and change. Mm. Yeah. Well, we do need that tension to change, and we talk about that here on this show often. We usually refer to it as the slingshot effect. That when we we do when we we are moving towards significant change, that the tendency often with with fear and uncertainty rife and uh, and confusion at this time in particular, that people sort of move back to earlier places in themselves where they feel there is more stability or more safety and security. Yeah, it's that memory of past times when things were okay, things, yeah. things were balanced. And, it, you know, I, I must say too that I, I uh, am a firm believer that we don't need these wars to drive tension. There are no. plenty of other ways to, to generate new ideas. I actually said just the other day to someone how it's almost as if this kind of latest spate of apparent warmongering, we're going to be talking about some of the actual figures around all of these issues on the planet and whether or not we're actually moving towards a positive thing more so than the, the, the many negative examples we could we could point to. But this, this notion of sort of new warmongering that one could uh, interpret about what's going on in the world, Trump's sort of uh, ways of, of doing uh, international politics and other countries, that in, in a way it's sort of a last-ditch attempt of, of, of level five, of layer five in Graves' work to hold on. It's the only thing they've got to, it's my, sort of my, my idea, the only thing they've got to, to, left to do is to do wars, to make war again. It's what makes money. It's what made money for them in the past. Well, it is a business model, and it's, it, a, you know, it's, model. A, it's a massive uh, wealth producer for a lot of people. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really interesting to look at 
what's going on as to compared to what's being reported in the mainstream media yeah. because actually thinking back through 2018 uh, Trump has has been initiated some or has initiated some very interesting peaceful things I mean he defused quite effectively the the tension with North Korea yes and now, the, the, all those missiles that they were shooting that's at right Japan now Kim Jong's Korea, making so. good friends with South Korea continually yeah. It's yeah, interesting. Um, and and also, you know, he's just decided to withdraw American troops from Syria and mm. Afghanistan. I mm. mean, that's you, you can't argue with that. I mean, it, it, there are a lot of people obviously trying to put a, a negative spin on things that Trump is doing, and this is not to say that everything he's doing is no. is necessarily constructive. No. Uh, a lot of what he's doing is deconstructive, um, which is which is, that's another story that another we might get to later on in the show. Another form of construction is deconstruction. That's that's right. Say. Yeah, it's it's necessary, <laughs> but of course, a lot of uh, a lot of Political interests in the U.S. are intent on painting him in a in a bad light. Mm. And there's a lot of resources being put into doing that in the mainstream media, which is why it's important to look at either sources of news. Mm, indeed, some of the things that we're we're going to point to today are, are in a piece uh, that comes from uh, uh, Future Crunch. Is that correct? I think it's an Australian. We just come across Australian website, which actually publishes continually positive stories about uh, what is happening uh, on the planet. Yeah, look, a really interesting site, and uh, I do believe that uh, at least some of the founders are based in Melbourne, so I'm told. Mm, even though the website actually, I just noticed, is a is a Swiss uh, based website. Yeah, that but I think they've done anything. that just to spell the name Future Crunch because oh, oh, the, yeah, the web address is Future Crunch. Oh, thank and you. The dot is between the N and the C H. I love so. people doing that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like someone I know registered a website called FutureSense.it. Uh, but it's not an Italian website. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing there Damn. yet, folks, so don't go looking but soon. I mean, uh, there's, there's a lot of good stories. Let's, let's start with uh, things like living standards because I think when we, when we talk about war and we talk about refugees, we talk about the pressures that are, that are existing on the planet and not to mention the various uh, aspects of climate change which are also impacting, but living standards in the world are, are, are clearly a, a driver for uh, conflict of one sort or the other, but it's actually the case, quietly and unannounced, that humanity crossed uh, a truly amazing threshold this year, according to these, these, uh, this article. For the first time since agriculture-based civilization began 10,000 years ago, the majority of humankind is no longer poor or vulnerable to falling into poverty. And in fact, for example, uh, 271 million people in India have moved out of poverty since 2005. 271 million in India has also continued the largest sanitation building spree of all time. More than 80 million toilets are estimated to have been built since 2014. So there's there's a trend going on that we don't hear about that often. Lots of trends, actually. Lots of, Lots trends. of trends. And um, as I, I mentioned a few times on the show, there's a great website called humanprogress.org, and they do nothing but look at how mm. we're making progress. And there's a lot of it going on. It just, uh, be, be, you know, for, for a lot of complex reasons, mm. uh, one of them being the, the use of push advertising and, and the need to uh, you know, gather audiences in, uh, by the various media, media outlets. Um, there is a terrible bias in mainstream media reporting, and, and also there are a lot of commercial and political interests in, in uh, you know, making the news that way in mainstream media, which mm. is why many, many people, including myself, are turning to alternative media sources such as Twitter and mm. other social media outlets. I did a piece when you were away last week about uh, the notion of reputation superseding information in the sense that 
with in the era of fake news, we've seen this in 2018 rise to, to the sort of top of the pile of, of relevant and important topics that we seem to be discussing, um, that it's now about discerning the reputation of those who are bringing to and imparting and, uh, and opining on the news rather than uh, just the information itself. I think that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's right. And in, um, in the research that Claire Graves did, he identified trust as being a key aspect mm. of second-tier intelligence, mm. those who, who are living um, their life guided by, by that level of intelligence and values and that the, the need to know that you can trust who you're dealing with. And, of course, a lot of the new technology that we're seeing coming out now, like, for example, the blockchain technology is being yeah. designed to, to really negate the need for trust because you can be confident that the technology is built in such a mm. way, being encrypted and decentralized and, and as far as we know, impossible to corrupt, mm. um, then you can just put that need for trust aside and know that it's there, which is amazing. And, yeah. and I, I do think it's, it's going to become more and more important to human society. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of indicators of change. And, of course, for an audience such as ours in a place like this, uh, issues such as clean energy are a really big one. And uh, the International Energy Agency has said that in the last year, generally speaking, in the world, 120 million people gained access to electricity, which means that for the first time since electrical service was started in 1882, less than a billion of the world's population are left in darkness. But the bigger uh, question is, where is the transition from uh, fossil fuels happening and how quick is that? And it seems to be a rather a, a, a very fast uptake and a very fast change. And again, we have to say that Australia seems to be lagging terribly in this area, even though we uptake uh, solar uh, on households more than any other country in the world. I think we've got the biggest percentage in Australia. And yeah, yet. again, it's good to look at what's actually happening and not just go by the mainstream media slogans. Yeah. Uh, you know, look at that massive Tesla battery that was built in South Australia. That, that was uh, an absolutely pioneering move on a global level by the South Australian government. Yeah. So there are amazing... Uh, things happening here in Australia, it's you know, it's it's easy just to to latch on to these. Oh, you know, Australia is this or something else is that. But we need to look very specifically at the examples because there are lots of wonderful examples out there. Mm. The world passed this year one thousand gigawatts of cumulative installed wind and solar power. Ten years ago, only ten years ago, there was less than eight gigawatts. In other words, that is a ten times. Uh, more than 10 times, a 12 times increase in simply 10 years of uh, installed wind and solar power on the planet. And uh, the cost, of course, is de declining incredibly. In the second half of 2018 alone, the levelised cost for solar fell by 14% and the wind benchmark by 6%. In many parts of the world, it's now cheaper to build new clean energy than it is to keep dirty energy running. Yeah, and, and this, is, of course, is quite key because during the, the scientific industrial era, um, money and economics, you know, have been a key driver, then we really need to to uh, sort of harness that to drive change into the next paradigm. So um, economic uh, issues are very, very important. And, and of course, we have, we seem to be at or even slightly past that tipping point where the renewables are starting to mm. compare very favourably to uh, other sources of, of energy. And of course, 
we mustn't forget that our governments pour massive subsidies into the fossil fuel industry and often that that is not taken into account you know it's actually very very expensive it's not only not taken into account it's and we don't know that we're not told that it's not factored into articles even by relatively enlightened commentators no that's right enough that's uh, right. Yeah. it's something which if we just don't speak about it's sort of embedded into the structure and that's not good enough yeah now. yeah mm. exactly and i think People are looking much more critically at governments, you know, partially because they're seeing that our systems need to change mm. and the kind of people that we're attracting into government are not necessarily the kind of people that we can trust. Um, people are looking much more critically at where the money is going, how it's being spent, and uh, it's, it's great to see things like calls for um, bodies to look at corruption at a federal level here in Australia. I think that's really needed. Indeed. Yeah, yeah and of course, when, when you talk about where the money is and how money supports some of these industries, the insurance industry is a really good example. And Allianz, the world's biggest insurance company by assets, said that it would cease insuring coal-fired power plants and coal mines. And Maersk, the world's largest maritime shipping company, said it would begin ditching fossil fuels and will eliminate all carbon emissions by the year 2050. Uh, along with, uh, of course, California being a, a very leading edge in terms of um, taking up uh, sustainable energy sources. California unveiled the most ambitious climate target of all time with a commitment to make the world's fifth biggest economy carbon neutral by 2045. As we're talking about these energy topics, we have a blinking light in the studio <laughs> here, which is one of our down lights that started blinking on and, and off. And I just like we, to acknowledge we have the message. Thank you very much. <laughs> It's coming through loud and clear. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, I don't think we're on solar here yet, but we certainly should be. And uh, I'm sure this region is going to be uh, carbon neutral and probably sustainable energy-wise, renewable energy within five years, there's a guess, maybe even less. Excellent. Who knows? That's progress. That's progress. So you can see that there's certainly positive things happening across the planet. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense. Here on Bay FM. Yeah. You're tuned to Bay FM 999 here on Future Sense, and you can text us in at any time on 04373 You should have that in your phone by now, folks. And it comes up here on the screen if you'd like to contribute to the conversation in any way. We're looking at some of the signs of progress at, at the end of 2018 on this final day before we launch into 2019. Isn't that amazing? Right on the edge of, uh, well, perhaps... Uh, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Right on the edge of tomorrow, as we always are. One of the big statistics that people uh, in power particularly claim is about uh, violence generally in the world and and the, the danger of terrorism and the danger of, uh, of your physical safety in the world now in this era of, uh, of supposedly horrible things. And, of course, there are horrible things that happen. But on the other hand, as we're focusing on today, there are also uh, many statistics which show that war, crime and violence continue their inex inexorable long-term decline. The Journal of Peace Research, for example, for example, said that the global deaths from state-based conflicts have declined for the third year in a row and are now 32% lower than their peak in 2014. There are many statistics around the world that support this, but let's look at, uh, particularly in our countries, um, crime and murder rates declined in the United States. It's 30 largest cities with a murder rate for 2018 projected to be 7.6% lower than 2017. That's 
very substantial. Crime falls when you take in millions of refugees too, according to this, uh, as you would be aware. Germany took in about a million re- refugees in the last year or so uh, until uh, it became a bit of a contentious political issue in that country. Isn't that interesting? It, it is indeed. Mm-hmm. But the number of reported crimes in Germany has actually fallen by 10% to the lowest level in 30 years while they have this huge increase in population from refugees, which supposedly we're... we're uh, uh, we're supposed to be frightened by uh, youth crime in the Australian state of New South Wales right here has plummeted in the last 20 years vehicle theft in this state is down 59% property theft by the same amount 59 drunk driving by 49% that's a bit uh, surprising to me uh, in the last generation arrests of Californian teenagers have fallen by 80% murder arrests by 85 gun killings by 75 imprisonments by 88% Teen births by 75% and school dropouts by half and college enrolments are up by 45%. According to new data from the Department of Justice in the US, the proportion of people being sent to prison in the United States has fallen to its lowest level in 20 years. Well, they don't have any room left in their prisons for one thing. You know, I picked up another interesting story Mm. just now um, about the closure of prisons in the Netherlands. And uh, since 2013, uh, there's an article I found from 2016 which said in the three years from 2013, uh, they closed 19 prisons because they just haven't got enough criminals to fill them up. Uh, And then since then, um, there's an update. They've closed closed a whole bunch more as well. I think it's like a couple of dozen now that they've closed. Uh, And they even got to the point of getting a bit desperate and importing prisoners from Norway to (laughs) fill up some of the beds, I guess. (laughs) But a big contributor to it, I'm sure, in the Netherlands is their relaxed drug laws because so many people are in our jails, you know, not just in Australia but in lots of Western countries in particular, uh, I guess in Asia and in other countries too. Because of uh, drug-related crime, and, yes. and many of which are victimless crimes, of course, just possession of a little plant or something like that. Yes. Which is crazy, really. But mm, yeah, there you go. Well, we're going to talk about that because, in, in actual fact, uh, there's an article uh, from just a few days ago that you pointed me to from, I think, New York Daily News um, that talks about marijuana legalisation is safe, just, and necessary. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Isn't know, that an interesting headline? Yeah, yeah, and that in fact, you know, this this locking up of particularly young people is a is a ridiculous response to uh, to what is a you know something that basically a third of people uh, indulge in one time or the other. I think in the world. That's right, and I hear our, our friends across the the ditch there are holding a referendum in twenty twenty on whether to legalize recreational cannabis, not just yes. medical, but recreational. Won't we look silly? When we will look very if, silly if, uh, if we don't you know, get if we're on still board. making our doctor's right to the health minister to prescribe some medical yes. cannabis, which you can't get anyway. And kudos to the Green Party in New Zealand because the governing Labor Party promised the, <clears throat> the Green Party there that they would hold a national referendum on legalizing the drug as part of the confidence and supply agreement between the two, which is pretty sensible. Actually, Green Party, that sounds very suspicious. There could be a conspiracy going on there. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, any people on the right wing would just call them the Red Party or the Watermelon Party, of course. The best kind of conspiracy, of course. Yes. And we've got a text in about uh, what we talk about uh, in terms of India and uh, pe- people coming out of pol- poverty, and this is good. I watched, I watched a short doco last night, says the writer here, of people in India greeting the flow of a river by standing in this dry riverbed that had a flow of about one or two kilometres per hour where they were throwing flowers of spiritual thanks. The interesting thing is the river had huge amounts of rubbish in it that would have ended up in the ocean. But people were so familiar with the rubbish, it was just the norm. 
Hmm. 80 million tournaments is a step in the right direction, yes, but the familiarity of their substandard surroundings only induces a very slow change, I think. I think, uh, might I be correct, Do you, what do you guys think? And Shane, Happy New Year. Thanks, Shane, to them, uh, us, one and all, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, well, we know from the theory side of things that life conditions are the key to triggering change. And uh, when life conditions remain the same, then people generally tend to remain the same in terms yeah. of their values and behaviours. But it's only when life conditions change that people have to reassess who they are and what's important to them. And uh, that can be a key driver of change if it's done wisely. Yeah. yeah. I think it's an interesting point that when people are so familiar with their life conditions, with the rubbish in this case that he's pointing to here, that it is a slow change. And yet uh, also the, the, the notion that they're throwing flowers into the river, even though there's hardly a trickle in there of spiritual thanks, also is a really lovely and positive you know, approach. It's it's better than say, well, this river's still dirty. Yeah. So there's a sort of contradiction there and, and a paradox there, which have, is pretty much part of everything these days. Paradox is the key. <laughs> or not. <laughs> or not. Yeah, um, we don't really know. Yeah, I, I read, uh, actually, when I was working in Mackay, uh, doing a bit of consulting work many years ago, one of my clients gifted me this set of cassette tapes and uh, for the young folks out there. Cassettes, what are they? Yeah, yeah, these, these, these little plastic things which had a ribbon of, of tape inside <laughs> them and you would stick them in a machine and they would make noise. Um, you don't see them much these days. But anyway, it, it, was, a, it was a recorded course from uh, an organisation called the Pacific Institute and it was all about our mechanism of noticing things in our environment and reacting to them and how... Uh. And it was called um, specifically the reticular activation system. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, our system of kind of activating our attention, bringing it to certain things, and uh, really determining whether or not we notice those things in our environment. And, and basically mm. what it said was, uh, you know, initially when you notice some change in your environment, it'll be, there'll be a reaction. You'll go, oh, my God, something's changed. Um, but then over time, if, you, if, if the change is left, you know, and you don't pay attention to it or do anything about it, then you'll become accustomed to it. Mm. And even though it's still there three weeks later, it won't cause the same amount of mm. um, attention or distress, you know, because you've just adjusted to it, basically, because we're so we're so adaptive. We really mm. are inherently adaptive. We're very, very plastic. Yeah, and that, that complex adaptive system which we are and which we are embedded in, uh, I think it seems, with what you're saying, though, we're only just beginning, I think, to accept change as a, as a good thing. Uh, you know, to, I've always said, and many people have said, change is the only constant in the universe, one of those sort of new agey things you say. But, but it's actually true. Change is necessary for things to change, for evolution to happen, but we're not, but we're not very comfortable with change, I think I would suggest overall uh, now. We, we certainly like stability. We like know, stability. Particularly when things are good, we, you know, we don't necessarily yeah, don't want to rock the we're, boat. We're going to try and hang on to that, but yeah. of course, things are always changing. Mm. Yeah, and no, I just, I just wonder how we're we're starting to. And I was thinking about this this morning because we we decided Steve and I to focus on the positive things in this, in today's show. And we often talk about some of the difficulties and challenges we have, but focus on the positive, and just feeling into that and th- and feeling how you know, it's a very big generalisation that people are resistant to change. They think that things sort of go around in a circle, you know, oh, we're going to go back to war because that's what we've always done. Human nature is such, we always do this. You know, it's never going to change because we're like that. And yet it's clearly not the case that we are fixed in some way. Yes, we have characteristics which we carry forth, but those characteristics are always up for change and for modification, for evolution in some form or other. Yeah, and as we 
develop through the, the different layers of values, you know, and our consciousness changes and our perception changes and the scope of our sensory perception mm. widens, you know, as we go up through the layers. And that gives us very different perspectives on life and and that brings different characteristics to our our capacity to notice change and to respond to change and the kind of change that we might like or, or reject. Yeah. Yeah. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. You're tuned up FM 999 here with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans through till 11 o'clock. And we've been talking about some of the positive things that have occurred on the planet in the last year or are occurring still. We're going to shift focus a little bit to the notion of time itself, an article we came across this week from uh, theoretical physicist Carlo Ravelli uh, in Quartz magazine. Ravelli is a, uh, a new book published in April called The Order of Time, about our experience of time's passage as human beings and the fact of its absence at minuscule and vast scales. Mm. He makes a compelling argument that chronology and continuity are just a story we tell ourselves in order to make sense of our existence. He contends that time is merely a perspective rather than a universal truth. Yes. What do we think about this and how can we tease this out? It's quite an interesting little piece. We think it's very interesting because our perception of time changes as we grow through the layers of consciousness Mm. and and each different layer we have a distinctly different understanding of time. And there's an interesting uh, dynamic that occurs if we look at the big picture. We can see that when we're living our life according to an individually oriented uh, paradigm. Oh, yeah one of the, the particular layers on that side of the spiral, mm. then our focus tends to be on the short term. We're interested in what's mm. happening right now and in the near future. And as an example, if you look at the corporate world, usually business plans rarely go beyond about three years, mm. five years max. You know, They just don't think that far ahead. Unless they're Chinese businesses. Uh, well, that's, yeah, that's a different story. But see, often <laughs> the, the, the Chinese are thinking from the other side of the spiral, yeah. which is the communal side. And when we're living in the communal side, then we're interested in the long term. Mm-hmm. And an example there, if you go and, and uh, inquire into the stories of our indigenous folks here in Australia, you'll find that they're stories have been told over and over and over again, often quite mm. accurately for tens of thousands of years. And there was a, a very interesting example in the last couple of years about a, I think it was an astronomical event, which is still present in the oral traditions here. You know, the story is still being told. It mm. was something that happened, I think it was, uh, if I remember rightly, something like 30,000 years ago. Mm. And that, that had been recorded in living memory then yes. and told orally throughout the ages. It's just mind-blowing to think about that. So, you know, what a radical difference we find just from, from those different sides of the spiral. And, of course, as we grow up through these layers of consciousness, we alternate between one side and the other side. So, mm. we, you know, we start out at the, the sort of basic automatic living hunter-gatherer level with an individual perspective on life and then we grow into the tribal perspective and then we grow back to the individual side again and each time we revisit one or the other our sense of it and our expression of it is expanded yeah 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 um so so here we are in this transition between the modern individually oriented paradigm and the next relativistic sort of network centric humanitarian perspective on life and we're moving back to a broader uh, analysis and understanding of time. But also, you know, I think there are some, some maybe some little snippets of second-tier perspective mm. in this guy's writing also. We're kind of looking at it from a, a systemic 
angle. Yes, and I guess that's it, isn't it? The time is a system in, in that sense. It's part of a system or is a system. He says that there are actually no things at all. Instead, the universe is made up of countless events. Yeah. Even what might seem like a thing, a stone, say, is really an event taking place at a rate we cannot register. And that's often the case here in Byron Bay. Yes. Uh, you'll find there's a stone going on somewhere and people are not registering everything. Well, that's right. What he says is the stone is in a continual state of transformation. Exactly, exactly. On a long enough timeline. Even if it is fleeting, destined to take on some other form. And it always does. And it always does. Yes, and you probably all had an experience that. of that out there, folks, I'm yeah. hoping for you to, uh, to have had. And if you haven't, get onto it. That, so if you're <laughs> contemplating a stone at the end of the year, now's the time to have it. You've only got a few hours left. <laughs> yeah. But what I, what I really like is I'm trying to find this piece where he says, well, I'm trying to make sense of it. I'm sure perhaps you can, you can help me with this. We've got to get past the stone, Nick. This I'm, thing, I'm, I'm, I'm past it already. No, it's, he, he, this uh, physicist, Mr. Ravelli, Carlo Ravelli, uh, argues that what we experience as time's passage is a mental process happening in the space between memory and anticipation. Hmm. Yes, and uh, I. What do you think about that? I can't remember if I read it in this article or I was reading it somewhere else. But you know, the Heart Math Institute have done some very interesting research Mm. uh, on heart activity and the heart field. Mm. And one of the things that they found is that our heart intelligence has this precognition, and so we react milliseconds before an event actually occurs. In fact, it might even be longer than that. Oh, yes. That's um, right. You know, we have this sense, and, and I remember at least one mm. of the experiments mm. which has been done, which is about flashing images up in front of people, and they'll alternate between, like, peaceful images and sometimes disturbing images. Yes. And the the heart response occurs before the image appears. Comes up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's very interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting, and, and I, I guess that's another part for me anyway of how we are breaking down the notion of time's linearity at this time in our yes. history yeah uh, that uh, the the notion of uh, event a occurring in the past and what we see as the past leading to event b in the future that sort of direct correlation uh, and causation more than correlation and causation between a and b yeah. is kind of breaking down in various it, ways it is actually you know if we look at the the sort of agricultural authoritarian mindset which emerged 10,000 or so years ago and which is still quite present in our society particularly in institutions uh, and uh, organized belief systems that was a very linear way of thinking so when you're thinking in a very linear way it's very much past present future and there's usually only one right path to be on in that sense. And then when we oh, go yeah. into the modern scientific yes, industrial yes. world, that spans out into mm. parallel multiple paths, multiple mm. options. You know, which path do we take? We have all these possibilities. Mm. It's like a, like a delta of it a, is, a like river. It's a delta, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then as we move into second tier, I guess that delta becomes uh, some other dimensional expression. Yeah, so on the transition from the modern scientific industrial mm. to what's emerging right now, this relativistic, humanistic, network-centric, decentralized way of being human that mm. we're growing into, um, everything gets connected, of course. So instead of having like linear pathways that you can follow, we've got like multiple connections uh, and and uh, almost um, unlimited pathways or possibilities, different perspectives on things. Yeah. And um, that translates from a from the point of view of time perception into a an openness to past lives and future lives like beyond this earthly manifestation. Uh, and also mm. maybe even parallel lives mm. as well. Yeah. Uh, although that's, that is kind of 
busting into the multi-dimensional. Well, I had someone sitting a bit. someone sitting here on my Friday show talking to me about how I was not only sitting here talking to him, but I was also living another life on, on well, you you know, my, you my home planet. You were actually in my car Sirius, was I there I as well? Yeah. I, was in, I was bi-locating all over the place, and but we all are. Clearly, this is true. I, I also had this article by Carlo Rovelli, or this article about Carlo Rovelli's work, the theoretical physicist. Uh, it's interesting, just the very simple uh, elements of, you know, he, he mentions an idea of if you're in New York and you're talking to friends in London, when their words reach your ears, milliseconds have passed, and they're very small milliseconds these days with the kind of tech we have. Milliseconds but, are getting smaller, apparently. <laughs> And now, like the New York Minute, it's only 42 seconds. It ain't 60. So milliseconds have, have, are happening and they're getting shorter. And now is no longer the same now as, as it was when the person on the line replied, I can hear you now, which actually is not true, That's isn't right. now? We need to distinguish between milliseconds and silly seconds. I, mean, I think that I, I, I much prefer a silly second. Difference there. Very happy to have a but, silly um, second. This is true. I mean, there was this guy called Einstein who, oh, yeah. who pondered space travel and mm-hmm. thought about these two brothers who you know one went flying on a spaceship and the other one stayed at home and time passed differently yeah. you know when the other guy came back he wasn't the same age as the, the his brother well time passes differently on a mountaintop time passes faster than at sea level so it's, it's comes Isn't down that interesting vision. because most yes. people who sit on mountaintops would say the opposite wouldn't they really <laughs> there, there's an interesting that's paradox. why they're sitting on the mountaintop right so that they can slow time down right now. yeah <laughs> so yeah. That they don't get behind yeah <laughs> Don't get ahead. What a curious thing. What a curious thing Time. it is. It, it, it's a condition of the human. And this is what this guy is essentially su- suggesting is that in this particular solar system, on this particular planet, in this particular galaxy, in this particular position in this galaxy. And this was written on Earth, wasn't it? Let's just yeah. check. The, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, it's written on Earth. Well, Sorry, it's, it's got sort of a language that's vaguely familiar to me. But, uh, yeah, the, the, in actual fact, this is a condition. Time may well be a condition just of our particular local experience. That's right. And I actually, I just write in one of these paragraphs, right. I just flick to it here. It says, uh, he argues that time only seems to pass in an ordered fashion because we happen to be on Earth, yeah. which has a certain unique entropic relationship to the rest of the universe. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Oh, boy. Um, we've had a text in uh, regarding our previous discussions about um, toilets uh, in India. And, of course, naturally, we do need to bring it back locally, and I'm glad that you did. Uh, so this this uh, listener says, flush toilets may not be the best thing when all Airbnbs are pumping 30, 40, 50 thousands of morning shits are stirred around at the treatment plants and pumped into the small Brunswick River where all the mothers take their infants to swim. Now, I'm not sure if that's actually true, and what you're saying there, but we can check that out because I think they do. It's a very sophisticated processing system that occurs. Since we're talking about alternative realities, I'd just like to ponder, what if those Airbnbs weren't Airbnbs, but they were actually someone's home? Mm. What would oh. be happening in the toilets then? Anything different? <laughs> Perhaps people who use Airbnbs shit more than normal people do. I mean, that's a possibility. I think it's suggesting that there's more people living in a given house at one time than there would be a family, but that's not necessarily true. But uh, the likelihood is there may be an increase in population in those homes which are now Airbnbs. Quite possibly, I guess. He also says, I've lived near the river, near the Brunswick River for a decade. Occasionally a big high tide will give a freshen up. <laughs> Sorry, that was tide you said? Yes, he said tide. But the, tr- <laughs> but the trend has been dirtier and more algae and often I'm looking at minced shit. Really? Is that so? Okay, well that's important to hear. Thanks for that feedback. A lot of it, he says, or she says, the composting method seems more sanitary because it allows time for the decomposing to occur quote why is he quoting this on oh, pete seeger he's quoting pete seeger most people think they're pretty damn clever 
they think once they flush it, it's gone off forever. But the next time they meet for an oyster to eat, they'll think twice when it comes to time to pay. That's right. I don't know that song. I should find it. Thanks for that. And keep up your comments, please. I'd like to read as many as we possibly can. Someone else has written in, Time is not a thing which passes. It's the moment we pass by. It. <laughs> it. Reminds me of that old question, you know, are you going for a swim today or just going through the motions? <laughs> that was a, that was a, a Sydney uh, terrible. story, if I remember rightly. You're resonating right now on Future Sense with Steve McDonald and Nick Jeans. Yeah, it's June 999 here with uh, Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald through till 11 o'clock, at which point it's pregnancy, birth and beyond in the house and uh, the wonderful... Sean Tonnett is uh, in in the box seat in there, ready to deliver that show. Actually, he's not there now; he's disappeared. Uh, a few few more of your texts, thank you. Um, hi, Stephen. Nick, reception has been cutting out, so can I download a recording after the event? Yes, you can in a number of ways. You can certainly go to the BayFM program page of Future Sense, BayFM.org, to the Future Sense program page, and then a little later this afternoon, not very long, once I've entered the songs for the day that uh, we're playing you'll be able to listen to the show streaming there. It's usually pretty good, but we do have some issues sometimes with reception and with um, coming in and out. And things are changing too. We're very close to launching the show as a formal podcast Mm. through iTunes, and that'll be happening very soon. And thanks very much to Ross Hill, our friend and sometimes guest who's helping us engineer that. I thought you'd uh, actually bring Ross in uh, this morning. I I probably would have, but I think he was still asleep. Yeah. <laughs> Ross, get yourself together. You're only a young man. Come on, get you into the day. Look at us. We're still vibing and we're twice That's your right. age. Yeah, as, soon as, well, that, I am. as soon as the show's available as a podcast on iTunes, we'll post on the Facebook page and uh, through our own social media and get the word out about mm. that. Um, another <laughs> another text uh, from Shane, a little bit of tongue-in-cheek here. William Shatner has <laughs> a link with uh, this talk, or this talk, of accelerating the time travel events and Indian toilet expansion. Yes, it's an abstract thought that grows into discovery. Whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Lovely. Sounds like he's on a roll there. Well, you're on a roll, yes. <laughs> you can get uh, quite cheap in the EGO or the IGE. Or the UGE, IGE, IGY. Sorry. Now, um, let's move somewhere else. Interesting things going on in the world and I found this to be rather interesting from the Smithsonian mag this week an ambitious initiative unveiled this week by British Health Secretary Matt Hancock may soon enable the country's doctors to prescribe therapeutic art or hobby based treatments for ailments ranging from dementia to psychosis lung conditions and mental health issues writing for the Times Cat Lay explains that this unconventional strategy described by the UK government as social prescribing could find patients enrolled in dance classes and singing lessons or perhaps enjoying a personalised musical playlist. We've been fostering a culture that's popping pills and (laughs) Prozac when what we should be doing is more prevention and perspiration, says uh, Hancock, the British Health Secretary, in a Tuesday speech recently, just last week. In fact, according to The Telegraph's Laura Donnelly, the proposal which arrives on the heels of a larger preventative health scheme provides the creation of a national academy for social prescribing that will ensure general practitioners or GPs across the country are equipped to guide patients to an array of hobbies, sports, and arts groups and the medical benefits of, in, of engaging with the arts are well recorded as is noted for example a collaboration with the Royal, the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra and stroke survivors living in Hull in England encouraged patients to play instruments conduct and perform 90% of these participants reported improvements in their physical and mental health it seems pretty obvious 
what an interesting thing. I mean, mm. it's probably bad news for the pharmaceutical industry, but it, it could give birth, a birth to big art rather than big pharma, which, <laughs> which is a very interesting development. That's and great. It's interesting just to ponder how that could change things in society. Imagine going to the chemist and asking for some paints or some <laughs> brushes and those sorts of things. I mean, we'd have to retrain just, our chemists. Well, just you could just, you know, a knitting needle and sewing. You could sew up your pants. Yeah, you know. or just get a jigsaw puzzle or something instead of Prozac. We've got a friend actually uh, who's listening to this show right now out in his veranda, Mr. Um, R.H., who's, who's wonderful with needle and thread. A contemplator of the stone. A contemplator of also with the stone, uh, and uh, but a very, very, very adept, a very fine, skilled man with the needle and thread. Possibly you can get some training from him for relief from your, your pain and, and suffering. Uh, but it is a really good thing, isn't it? And it seems to be such an obvious thing that um, prescribing things like music, arts, and volunteering... Uh, are uh, you know are only just becoming uh, into the mainstream sort of seen as uh, as a genuine type of therapy. There is some concern. Mark Rowland, the chief executive of the Mental Health Foundation, uh, adds that accessibility is an obstacle. However, his concern is that social prescribing, as I said, this has been called, uh, options including music, arts, and volunteering aren't being assessed by the accessed. Excuse me, by the poorest in our community and that's always going to be that situation. Do you realise if that happens you could get a doctor's certificate to do art, take oh. the day off, yeah. go and do some painting and then go back to work the next day with Bloody your doctor's good. certificate and claim. Fantastic, I like, like they'd it. Probably, they'd have to change the name of sick leave to something else, yeah. wouldn't they? Jam leave. Jam I'm having leave. a jam today with my friends. <laughs> it's therapeutic. <laughs> along with <laughs> along with my, my collection of stones, my, <laughs> my friendly collection of stones. Um, on the other side, though, because we're going to uh, is uh, from Wired magazine, um, an article. I won't go into the depth of this, but a doctor prescribing video games and virtual reality rehab. Obviously, apps and algorithms that measure health are becoming uh, more common and uh, becoming increasingly usable and use user friendly and sophisticated in various ways. Um, this notion that there can be digital medicine now, also that video games for children with ADHD have demonstrated a statistically significant improvement in a randomised controlled clinical trial, apparently. Isn't that interesting too? Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, of course, there's this whole issue of the placebo effect, where, whereby half the time, that's 50%, we heal ourselves. And so anything that could trigger that could be prescribed quite usefully, couldn't it? Do you, do you feel that that is the... I mean, clearly there's always going to be a, a place for a physical medicines of one type or another but ultimately do you feel that that's where we're moving to that self-healing uh, with certain types of support for example I, you know i believe we're already there ah. we don't need to move there because it's already happening yeah. and um, I, I do believe that a lot of people say that physics is the new medicine so understanding the physics of the operation of our bodies and our immune system and how we interact with that consciously i think is certainly the way ahead for medicine and i think we are going to see massive revolutions in our understanding of health and our own capacity to, to heal ourselves and regulate our health. Mm. The physics of consciousness. Uh, my, my partner, Julia, hello, Julia, if you're listening, has on her mirror, she has written, the physics of consciousness can heal, heal anything. Exactly, it can mm. hear anything as well. Yeah. Just be careful what you say. <laughs> um, now, superheroes, superhero films, are replacing religion in teaching us how to live. You drew my attention to this. This I is did. also very interesting. Yeah, this is from our beloved ABC. Yeah. 
Yeah, what do you got to say about this? this is a... Well, um, it's just, I think it's actually uh, come from a paper or a study mm. by a Jesuit priest, yes. if I remember rightly. Yes, this uh, chap has completed his PhD in cinema studies and taken on directorship of the Australian Catholic Office for Film and Broadcasting. Mm. Father Leonard is his name. And um, he's looking at uh, how these uh, themes, that, which you would normally find in churchy books and uh, those sorts of things, are showing up in movies, and particularly in, in superhero movies. Yeah. And I was, I was pondering this from an evolutionary point of view. Mm. <clears throat> and when we were living according to the agricultural mindset, the, uh, and uh, I must say that um, uh, hello to all our agricultural folks out there listening, and just because you might be in the industry of agriculture doesn't mean that you think according to this particular layer of consciousness, which I always refer to as the agricultural or authoritarian. It's just that it emerged yeah. alongside large-scale agriculture. That's that's the association well, there, yeah. and, it, and it, it was the trigger for humanity to develop uh, rational rules for living life. And, and some of those rational rules came through our religions, which brings us back to this story. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, he's just comparing how some of the, the themes, which are often religious themes like self-sacrifice to save others and those sorts of things, can be seen very clearly in these movies. Mm. And I, I'm guessing that um, with the development of the modern scientific industrial mindset, our thinking changed from having some higher authority that we appeal to and who comes to our rescue, as in God or his son or daughter or some other relative, um, we start <laughs> believing that we can do it ourselves. And, uh, and so we shift from seeking knowledge through spiritual means to seeking knowledge through science. Mm. That's kind of going by the wayside these days, but yeah. there was a time when that was quite popular. And, uh, and so I think that empowerment that we got from that also probably gave rise to this thinking about superhumans, that you know we can do amazing things beyond what we thought we could do. And that's a, a theme that has continued through mm. history, of course. Um, and now, as his, uh, Father Leonard is writing in his piece for the ABC here, church attendance is on the, on the decline. People aren't going to church quite so much as they used to. In fact, a lot. Well, uh, I actually heard a related statistic now that you mentioned yesterday on this same other great radio station out there that um, if you have in any given community uh, 100 people going to a church uh, on a Sunday morning in any community in Australia, you statistically you will have 4,000 people going to watch sport. And they were saying in this particular thing that sport has become sort of the new religion, which in Australia is probably not so far from the truth. And you see the same And again, it's a similar sort of thing. You know, like superheroes in sport. Precisely. Absolutely, yeah. These amazing people who Mm. who do things like Don Bradman. It's interesting here that they say that the whole story of Jesus' sacrifice for others has left echoes in our culture. I like that. So when Harry Potter goes and sacrifices himself for the sake of other people, that is something that resonates with us on a deep level. So that's sort of entrenched in our in our in our profound uh, um, subconscious figure. In our it is, and as as we swirl through this story on mm. New Year's Eve, you know, it's brought to mind an image of that mumbo, the you know, the mambo, the, the art, oh, the yeah. clothing label yeah, in no, Australia. F- the, the Jesus at the uh, MCG. Have you seen that one? Or it might be the SCG. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Jesus sure. is there handing out pies and beers, uh, feeding the masses, and and it was a miracle. <laughs> I like the one from the far side, you know, the far side cartoons? Yeah. Where there's uh, two lines of people who've died. 
One of them is going up to heaven. One's going to hell. The line that's going up to heaven, they're all being given a harp at, uh, whoops, at the, a harp at, uh, at the gate for, by St. Peter. But that, those going down below to hell, they're all being given a, um, a squeeze box. Oh, my God. A piano, an accordion. Really? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned something a little bit off air about, about this notion of, uh, of hell and in terms of change, just to come back to change. Well, so it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting thing. You know, yeah. I, I, what I was saying off air is that one of our greatest fears deep, deep down is really that things won't change. If any description of hell, of course, is just eternal whatever, yeah. right? Eternal yeah. this or eternal that, it never changes. Unless perhaps you're a, you're a Muslim and you're supposed to have eternal virgins, but I'm sorry, yeah, guys, yeah, I that's, don't think that's... That's Hell. not hell, that's heaven, I think. Oh, right. They're going to give, they really are confused. <laughs> so perhaps. Apologies, folks, just lightheartedly here. Of course, it's not as simple as that. Nothing is. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, you know, it, it is interesting to see these themes emerging uh, in cinemas. And um, our movies, I think, are always a good sign of what's bubbling up from the subconscious, uh, you know, the, the different themes that we see emerging in our films. And we, we went, of course, you know, around the 2012 thing, we went through yeah. all these disaster movies, so yeah, one of right. which was actually called 2012. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and we seem to be, I mean, what's what's happening now in the movie? Oh, children's movies, children's, mostly. Yeah. yeah, we were thinking about going to a movie the other day and there was just children's movies up there, that's about uh, it. It's probably something to do with Christmas holidays I think too, so. I think. Uh, I like this in this article, the superhero article, Father Leonard believes that cinema itself could be considered a sacred space. I think this is interesting. Yeah. He says, yeah. they're church-like, we have stars for saints. We even have food that you only eat at a cinema. He says, likening pop, popcorn to the Catholic Church's sacramental bread. Yeah. Mm. I think he's making a bit of a stretch there, but that's okay. Yeah. Very interesting. It is interesting. I mean, there are lots of parallels. Mm. Yeah. Everybody's quiet and, you know, people try not to use their phones and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sacred space. Mm. Let, let us worship. I mean, the, the notion that we need to find something external to ourselves, though, is, is in, in essence, the current the theme there, isn't it? Like, what do we project onto to save us? A superhero, a, a saint, um, a, a religious figure? We do, but I, you know, I think, again, you know, it depends which value set a person is living by as to what they're going to take notice of and put value on but certainly for some people seeing these inspirational characters in the movies actually makes them you know go inside themselves and say you know hey could i be like that am i like that mm. you know those sorts of things mm. so there is certainly some personal inquiry i think which comes along with that mm. for, for some folks mm. pretty good yeah we are uh 10 here in time-wise, if that's the time that you can relate to, perhaps you are in a completely really different... doesn't really exist, folks, but this no. is just what the clock says. It's just what the clock says, and the clocks are all different anyway. I've got about four clocks in front of me. They all say different times. Future Sense I, is I just an like event. That. That's, that's all we are. We're just an event. We are. We actually have no substance other than the transferee between what was and what is in this moment that we can't define that. Similar to a stone, but a little more entertaining, we hope. <laughs> well, some people, I mean... the there was a there was a, a fad in, in Japan for a while having a pet stone. There was, you're right. Mm, yeah, yeah. Go figure. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. Last uh, twenty minutes of 2018 here on this show on Future Sense, and we've been looking at some of the positive. Uh, things and indicators uh, that have occurred in this year and continue to trend 
towards a, a healthier and a better future, despite everything else that we can also focus on. A piece from singularityhub.com that we also look at that Steve pointed me to uh, sums some of this up when, they, when it says uh, that when you look back at 2018, do you see a good or a bad year? Chances are your perception of the year involves fixating on all the global and personal challenges it brought. In fact, every year we tend to look back at the previous year as one of the most difficult and hope that the following year is more exciting and fruitful. But in the grander context of human history, 2018 was an extraordinarily positive year. In fact, every year has been getting progressively better, according to this particular article. And uh, it dives into a number of uh, indicators. That also, we've been talking about some of those already, but as we'll just touch a couple of the other ones here, what sort of piques your interest in this uh, this piece? Because there's lots of great stuff here. Uh, and again, we've we've talked about some of the, the the progress in terms of environmental and sustainable energy, uh, in terms of the decrease in crime and so forth. What else? Yeah, some of the other stuff they're talking mm. about are um, progression in space travel. Yeah, you know what uh, Richard SpaceX mm. been up lately in, into the space and the SpaceX stuff, and you know starting to put together um, a starship, to, um, Elon Musk's starship, which he hopes to fly to Mars eventually. Yeah. Once they crack those few small issues that they have to crack about flying to Mars, um, <laughs> with, a, with a car strapped to the back of your, uh, your spaceship. Oh, that's already, he's already sent the car, actually. Mm. Yeah, I think he was worried about getting parking, so he wanted to get the car Seriously. early. Um, <laughs> Permanent parking on Mars yeah. for the red. Um, what else are they talking about here? Breakthroughs in in therapy, I and mean, mm. of course, uh, this was this year that uh, the FDA granted breakthrough therapy status to MDMA-assisted therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder, and uh, psilocybin also got breakthrough uh, therapy status as well more recently, which I think was for anxiety. Yes, and again, let's refer to depression and anxiety, that's right. And again, we we would like to, from our little radio show right here, lobby the Australian government and Australian researchers, Australian medical people and Australian people with with, uh, brains to start pushing stronger for uh, these substances to be looked at in a, in a proper way uh, as revolutionary uh, potentials in uh, in mental health solutions. And there is, there is progress being made. It hasn't been made public much apart from me mentioning on the show here, but we have been mm. making a lot of progress in the background towards establishing formal psychedelic research here in Australia. Mm. And uh, and we, we are looking most likely to start our first psychedelic clinical trial here in Australia during 2019. Yes. And for those who are interested in finding out how that is going, where can they go to check that out? To, um, to Prism? Probably the, the best thing to do is to uh, follow Prism on mm. social media. So at Prism News on Twitter or the Prism Facebook page are the best places where we, we paste, post up, paste and post updates paste uh, and from post. time to time. Yeah. And uh, the reason that the, we haven't been making too much noise publicly about these upcoming clinical trials is simply because they're very politically sensitive uh, and it's been a long road to get here. We've we've been uh, working since 2011 through PRISM to try and establish legal psychedelic research here in Australia and it's been a very, very slow old road. We've been knocking on doors for many years but about 12 months ago, doors started to open and uh, so things are definitely positive, looking good. We've had one of our studies, and that is a psilocybin study, uh, achieve um, Human Research Ethics Committee approval. So that's pretty much ready to go ahead, and we're just uh, working on the last-minute logistic aspects at the moment and uh, hope to make a public announcement before too long Mm. about that. Fantastic. 
And with that, there's been really interesting moral and social progress. Innovation, of course, is often associated or measured by economic and technological process, but also leaps of progress in our morality, our values and our policies, which in in the end is probably the most key thing that we need to shift on this planet, I I would suggest, in order to solve our issues. So we've seen some strong things happen in January this year. Iceland introduced the equal wage law, bringing to an end the gender wage gap. On September the 6th, the Indian Supreme Court decriminalised homosexuality. Uh, Earlier in December, the European Commission released the draft ethics guidelines for trustworthy artificial intelligence. Intelligence, a few of those. We're also seeing, I love this, we're also seeing a global rise in social impact entrepreneurship. Emerging startups are no longer valued simply based on their profits and revenue, but also on the level of positive impact they are having on the world at large. The world's leading innovators are not asking themselves how can I become rich, but rather, how can I solve this global challenge? Yeah, isn't that interesting? That's mm. a, a real sign of our evolution mm. right there. Yeah. So there's a certain reason to be optimistic about uh, the future. There's a, a great TED talk by Steven Pinker, who I do like, and for those of us who are sort of more... Um, I don't know, cosmic, if you will. Stephen Pinker probably challenges a little bit. But on the other hand, uh, he brings really direct and clear uh, indications of of positive change. And he says in uh, TED Talk recently this year, quote, progress does not mean that everything becomes better for everyone everywhere all the time. That would be a miracle. And progress is not a miracle, but problem solving. Problems are inevitable and solutions create new problems which have to be solved in their turn. How true is mm-hmm. that? Very good. Yeah, very good indeed. Singularityhub.com, it's a good source, folks, if you want some uh, some a clear indication of things. And as we also mentioned before, Future Crunch or futurecrunch is another website with uh, which has a monthly newsletter of positive changes that have occurred in the world. It's been going for a while. And it's sourced from a number of different uh, places, so it's not just their own uh, their own research. It's, it's very good. Yeah, what's about it for the show? Got a few more minutes. So, what can we? Uh, I wanted to bring to your attention. I, I showed you this piece about self actualization, oh, yes. and I did actually mention it on my other radio show on Friday morning because mm. I think it was really wonderful. It's from Inc.com. That's I N C dot com. I'm not sure what that stands for, and it's uh, ten components of the self actualized personality. And it comes from uh, a um, Scott Barry Kaufman, a psychologist at Barnard College at Columbia University. And it was first published in Scientific American not long ago. And it points, as I said, to the 10 components of the self-actualized personality. And I thought I'd uh, I'd read them. Maybe we'll have a a brief comment if you... Why don't you do that? Yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll I'll read them. Because I can can read. You'll listen (laughs) to Number one, a continued freshness of appreciation. That is, I can appreciate again and again, freshly and naively, the basic goods of life with awe, pleasure, wonder, and even ecstasy, however stale these experiences may have become to others. Number two, acceptance. I accept all of my quirks and desires without shame or apology. Number three, authenticity. I can maintain my dignity and integrity even in environments and situations that are undignified. Equanimity. I tend to take life's inevitable ups and downs with grace, acceptance and equanimity. Number five, purpose. I feel a great responsibility and duty to accomplish a particular mission in life. Number six, 
an efficient perception of reality. I am always trying to get at the real truth about people and nature. Number seven, humanitarianism. I have a genuine desire to help the human race. Number eight, peak experiences. I often have experiences in which I feel new horizons and possibilities opening up for myself and others. Number nine, good moral intuition. I can tell deep down right away when I've done something wrong. And number 10, a creative spirit. I have a generally creative spirit that touches everything I do. Really like those. I think that's a wonderful mm. list and very clean. Very clean. Think, you know, it's very, yeah. very much about taking personal responsibility for all of, all of your stuff and, yes. and also, um, you know, having a bigger vision for the world around you and being actively engaged with that. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Um, well, folks, that's it for 2018 from here at Future Sense. We'll be back next week in 2019 and the new year. And uh, we'll be increasing our, our focus on trying to bring you absolutely the cutting edge pieces of information that you may or may not have come across and discussing those. You've got a track. I might play a bit I'll, of music. Yeah. I love that. To, I'd love you to do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll test you out there. Go on. The listener won't be able to hear this right now. Okay. Oh, yeah, you're there. Yeah. Oh, I love it. You got it? <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Yeah, let's play this. For all of you out there, strangers in a strange land, you're grokking future sense here on Bay FM. Yes, and uh, that's... Uh, that's about it for the show. That's our wrap for the year, in fact. Yeah. Yeah. But next year, but next tomorrow, year, what have we got year. planned? You've got some things planned. We've got I, some things We've got planned. lots of things planned. Yeah. I think 2019's going to be a year for the rubber hitting the road, actually. It's feeling that way. 2018's been a very yeah. sort of foundation building year, yeah. getting ready for the rocket launch kind of thing. Mm. And I think it's going to take off next year. And um, we've got some really interesting things in the pipeline. Um, me and, and a a crew of folks, including you, Nick. Yeah. Um, we're working on the launch of a new organisation which has been mm. coming for a long time. Um, this is a, pro a long-term project that has been cooked up for probably at least the last 15 years or more. Mm. And the organisation is uh, it's going to be launched publicly in 2019 and it is the Agency for Advanced Development of Integrative Intelligence, or yes. RD for yeah. short, double A-D, double which, I. Which uh, loosely means the light within Yes, or shining the light shining upon. The in, Shine the light upon. Indeed, in, in uh, the, the root of Sanskrit word can be interpreted as that, or in fact yes. the beginning. As the in, beginning. As in that's the right. sunrise, I guess. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's exciting. And one of the things under, the, under that project, which uh, is going to happen in 2019, is we're going to develop a documentary movie series called Future Sense. Mm. And uh, we'll probably, we aim to punch out about 10 episodes initially for global distribution, looking at the paradigm shift, how humans are changing, how the world is changing, and what we're changing from too, and making sense of what's going on now and making sense of what's coming in the future. Mm, fantastic. So we're looking forward to that, and together with our our uh, good buddy Mitch Schultz, who's mm. uh, the film director based in Texas. I should mention, actually, regarding Mitch Schultz too, it's, uh, and sort of part of this is a film that's already been made 
called From Shock to Awe. Yeah, Mick was uh, Mitch. M- Mitch. Mitch was uh, one of the directors, uh, mm. particularly in the, the latter production of that film. It's a documentary series about a couple of US military veterans who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder and find healing and solace in the use of psychoactive medicines, particularly ayahuasca and MDMA. Indeed. Really, really wonderful piece of work. And in fact, uh, if you're interested in this kind of thing, it's available for viewing on Vimeo right now. Uh, From Shock to Awe is the name of the movie, if you just search for that on Vimeo. I think it's $4.50 US to watch. It'll be available, streamable, until the 6th of January. Uh, so if you're interested in healing through psychedelic medicines or healing of PTSD, please take a look at that. Uh, I've previewed it a couple of times now. And in fact, uh, both Nick and I are going to be involved in organising the cinema release here in Australia during yeah. 2019. Yeah, beautiful. And we will be back uh, next year, as I said, with you here on Future Sense. Thanks for joining us. And we're going to go out with... Our final message. Yeah, absolutely. Here it is. Bye-bye. Happy Have a great evening. Stay safe. Goodbye. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.